Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And as we record this on a Thursday, a new state is poised to join the online sports betting party tomorrow. Ten mobile sports books in Michigan have been approved for launch on Friday. We'll have much more to say about this next week after they've launched, but for now, John, a quick question for you. This is coming at a real low point in Detroit professional sports. Lions, Tigers, Pistons, Red Wings. Who's going to be the next team to cash a championship bet in the Motor City? Wow. Um, You know, I wouldn't make that exact bet because there are just too many teams now. And it's funny when people talk historically about how many championships people have. Um, When I was in first grade, the NHL had six teams. NBA had 10, thanks to the expansion of Chicago Bulls. MLB had 16, NFL had 16 with the expansion of New Orleans Saints. So 48 teams back then. Uh, now 31, 30, 30, 32, 123 teams. So well more than double. Um, so which is going to win the championship first is tough. So the best shot is figuring out which team is going to be really good first, right? And go with them. That's, a, that's your best shot. Um, the Pistons don't have anybody else's first round pick coming, I noticed, in future years. At this point, they may not have a second round pick until 2028. Uh, maybe not a huge deal there, but if you're terrible, you can get a jam at the start of the second round at times if you know what you're doing. Um, so not them. Tigers have a handful of stud prospects, but they're not really trying. The Lions always try, but they're cursed, so it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, Red Wings, yeah. Even with four years out of the playoffs, with their 25 in a row in them with four Stanley Cups in that time, even with them being the worst team in the NHL last season, they're my pick. They have some intriguing young talent. Their fan base has been spoiled long enough for decades that uh, they can afford to be patient. So I say Red Wings hoist the cup in 2029-30. Okay. All right. That seems a reasonable pick and reasonable logic. And that's, what a sad state of affairs that they are currently yeah, the worst brutal. team in the entire NHL. And they're your best bet here. Yeah, exactly. um, I could actually see Detroit's Tommy Hearns coming back and winning a world title before any of those teams oh, do. Wow. Um, I, I wonder what fair odds would be on 
getting any one of those teams to win a title anytime in the 2020s. You you cut it real close there with your prediction of the 29-30 season. Uh, of course, a lot can change in the next nine years. One of those teams could become a powerhouse or at least a solid contender. But yeah, right now, they are all a long way away. And, and by the way, Michigan is launching Friday. Virginia might beat them to it. FanDuel is flirting with launching in Virginia ahead of everybody else uh, we're hearing as of this recording on Thursday morning. Uh, It could happen later today. Uh, So we'll have a lot of news to cover on next week's podcast, I suspect. That sounds good. All right, but let's not jump ahead to episode number 127 just yet. Uh, Let's Mm -hmm. thank everyone for joining us for episode number 126 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 125 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. I can assure you that you will not receive presidential podcast pardons from us if you don't do those things. All right. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by highly respected industry consultant Sarah Slane of Slane Advisory, formerly executive with the American Gaming Association. Now we'll get Sarah's insights into the expansion projects for online sports betting and online casino in 2021, among other topics. Uh, first, it's been a pretty busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. On Wednesday morning, while absolutely nothing else of note was happening in terms of national news in America, a First Circuit Court of Appeals panel put an apparent end to the uncertainty created by a 2018 Department of Justice opinion about the application of the Wire Act of 1961. That DOJ opinion seemed to threaten interstate online poker, interstate lotteries, and even lotteries within a single state. But the New Hampshire lottery filed a lawsuit in 2019 challenging it. And this week, in a 49-page ruling, two judges sided with the New Hampshire lottery and determined that the Wire Act only applies to interstate sports betting. Maybe it's a coincidence that this ruling came out just as Donald Trump's term in office was ending. Maybe not. Maybe it's a coincidence that Sheldon Adelson died one week before this ruling. Maybe not. Certainly, some of the powerful parties in opposition to this court ruling are no longer in a position to fight it. John, you read this whole ruling, so the rest of us wouldn't have to. So break down the gist of why the judges ruled as they did, and how does this impact any gaming verticals going forward? Well, from the ruling, uh, quote, as the district court correctly concluded, the language and syntax of Section 1084A prevents the first clause from being a textbook application of either canon, and a third canon, the punctuation canon, fails to save the day. The legislative history provides further support for our judgment that Congress likely did not intend the strange results inherent in the government's reading. Oh, you wanted English probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so gonna, I, I might have I'm nodded gonna, off for a second there in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to switch over. Uh, well, basically, in, in 2011, the Department of Justice, uh, at the request of the Illinois and New York lotteries, concluded that, yes, the Wire Act of 1961 certainly does only apply to sports betting and no other gambling. So go ahead and offer an online lottery product if you like. Uh, then in 2018, that new DOJ ruling reverse course out of nowhere for whatever reason. It doesn't matter now, does it? Um, then DOJ spent a couple of years basically mailing in a defense of their strange, as the judge called it, uh, and tortured grammatical claim about the breadth of the Wire Act. Uh, the bottom line is lotteries can relax and go about their business. Lawmakers who've been skittish about the legality of online casino gaming for the state, they can excel as well. And online poker advocates can celebrate. You know, their ship, which over the past decade has veered all over the place in often choppy waters, uh, finally is coming back to shore, so to speak. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that online poker, that's 
the major impact here from where I sit. Uh, and, you know, if, if history is any indication, that's what Adelson was hoping to impact by pushing for this, if we can as safely assume this was largely his doing, which I think we can. Um, yeah. I, I assume the people behind this DOJ memo didn't really care about the lottery one way or the other, but the fact that the lottery ended up caught in its crosshairs was a big part of what seems to have tripped them up. So, you know, because the lottery fought back, online poker now has a fighting chance because the Wire Act definitively, well, you know, at least until someone else tries to reinterpret it 10 years <laughs> from now or something, uh, it definitively does not apply to online poker. So player pools across state lines can be combined as long as the operator is in the various states and wants to pool them, which is huge. You know, if you have a site, WSOP.com, PokerStars, whatever, that's in New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, plus Delaware, you know, throw them in. Uh, but uh, but th that's a decent player pool. That's going to get you big prizes in the Sunday tournaments. That's going to mean some higher stakes tables will fill. That's a reasonably vibrant poker economy. And, and then you'll keep slowly adding states from there. You know, poker will never expand like sports betting is expanding. It'll never return to 2006 levels. But this ruling from the First Circuit Court of Appeals opens the door for online poker in America to have a shot again, a, a chance to grow, however slowly. Yeah, it's actually comical that anybody poked a lottery bear, a state lottery bear. I mean, yep. it's so incredibly popular. It's not even looked at as gambling, per se. You know, right. there are plenty of people who would say, I'm against gambling. I don't want casinos. I don't want even maybe racetracks or or whatever. But if the lottery, lottery is cool. I love the lottery. Everybody loves the lottery. So and it makes so much money for the states. It's incredible. So you're right that this thing, I don't think it was intended to go after the lotteries, but uh it did, and it fell hard. Yep. All right, moving on. Uh, when Sarah Slane joins us shortly, we will ask her about sports betting expansion and what she thinks is coming this year. But for now, John and I will talk about two states making news on that front by seeing legislators file sports betting bills in the past few days. Last Thursday, Representative Harold Dutton filed a bill in the very large and populous state of Texas. The bill is for online betting only, includes an extremely low 6.25% tax rate, allows just five sports betting licenses, and is charging just a $250,000 application fee and a $200,000 annual renewal fee. It's encouraging to see legislation in the Lone Star State, but a constitutional amendment would be required even if lawmakers approve the bill. So it doesn't appear legal sports betting is coming to Texas too immediately. Um, on that same day, last Thursday, Another online only bill was introduced in Georgia, suggesting a minimum of six licenses, a 16% tax rate, and a $900,000 licensing fee. Things could move more quickly in Georgia than in Texas, as the bill could pass in the spring session, and it's possible sports betting could be operational as soon as the fall. John, what are your levels of optimism like regarding these two states, and do you expect Texas will jack up the fees and taxes before they pass anything? Yeah, I'm looking at it as 10 years of mobile sports betting for a mere cost of, let's see, 2.25 million with only four competitors in a massive state like SportsMed Texas, which basically only has three tribal casinos, a state lottery, bingo, and a smattering of horse races. Those are your rivals, really? I mean, nice work if you can get it. Uh, kudos to some lobbyists for even getting this sales pitch out there. Uh, lawmakers are going to get an education on how meager these numbers are, but they're starting from so far below zero. I can't picture them ever getting close to the windfall that they're taxpayers should get. So somebody's missing a bunch of zeros and somebody's <laughs> going to get a zero or two for uh, this effort. Uh, kudos to someone. Uh, 
Now, Georgia, it's not nearly as big as Texas, obviously, but they have no casinos at all. You know, as our boss, Georgia resident and recent podcast guest, Adam Small, knows all too well, there's a lot of cultural resistance to gambling that remains there. But I think I've seen a headline or two in the recent months suggesting there's somewhat of a cultural tide turning a bit in Georgia. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so, But judging from other reluctant gambling state histories, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it still needs a year or two to germinate for before getting there. And, and frankly, this spring, I think, you know, legislatures that spend a ton of time on legalizing uh, some gambling issues, I don't know if 2021 is the time for that to be at the top of uh, – the list, uh, there's a couple other things going on in most states uh, in terms of their economy. So right. I wouldn't be too upset if you're in a state that doesn't get around to it this spring because they have more important things to do with. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. Um, I, I'm with you on Texas. You know, whenever Texas passes something, I would expect it'll look different than this initial bill. Uh, they're, they're definitely undercharging. Uh, we were just talking last week about how New York could charge $50 million for a license fee and get it. Uh, Texas can't go that high, but low six figures, that is probably going to come up, especially if they stick to just five licenses. You, you could have a serious bidding war if it's that few licenses. Uh, hopefully, they'll open it up ultimately to more than five, You know, giving betters lots of outs and options and creating a, a fully competitive marketplace. Um, Georgia, lots of echoes of Tennessee with what we're seeing in Georgia. And, and in Tennessee, things did happen very quickly. You, other than the actual finalizing of the rules and the launch. That, that all took quite a while. But but getting legislation passed, it happened almost in the blink of an eye. And so it's possible Georgia's heading down that path. But, you know, nobody should count their chickens yet. Nearly every state has run into some stumbling block, some opposition that slows it down, forces some unexpected negotiation at least. But um, yeah, Georgia as a state is is on a hot streak. And uh, for the sake of uh, those people we work with who live in Georgia, not just Adam, but there are a couple others, uh, I, I hope this indeed does come together quickly. But like you, I'd probably bet against them being able to actually place bets in 2021. Well, yeah. In fact, in New York, the, the actual uh, number being tossed around for licensing fee uh, that Yonkers and Aqueduct might go for in the New York City area is $500 million. And uh, I talked to an economist last year who said he thinks a billion is not unreasonable uh, given a situation. And that's assuming that we're going to have three uh, uh, New York City area casinos within the next five years, uh, which is liable to happen. Um, so that would be, you know, a lot of uh, gambling money diverted toward there and still hundreds of millions of dollars for that. And so Texas, I mean, yeah. it's a huge state. It's got very little gambling, you know, legal gambling rival. I, I, oh my God, I can't even, I, I can't think of a number that would be too big where I'd say, oh, come on, you can't, they can't get that. <laughs> Whatever it is, I mean, first of all, the marketplace maybe should decide it anyway. And it, the number would be enormous. I'm absolutely shocked at that, uh, you know, application fee. Even the annual renewal fee of two, 200,000, as I said, in 10 years, that's 2 million. That's nothing. So right. uh, at least it's something, at least it's recurring. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, the one number comes up and you never get any more money, but uh I, I'm shocked what's going on down there. It'd be kind of funny if New York does end up like charging a billion or a half a billion and, and te Texas a couple hundred grand. But, uh, I, a billion sounds like a lot. I'm, I'm going to take the under on a billion dollars for a license fee in New York, but uh, we shall see. Um, for our third and final story this week, 
we look at a controversy brewing in New Jersey, where the Division of Gaming Enforcement's director, David Reebuck, sent a warning to online gaming operators in his director's advisory bulletin. Reebuck explained that he's received complaints from customers about some sites processing withdrawals very slowly, taking up to two weeks to make funds available to players. Making it even worse, Reebuck wrote that, quote, Patrons reported contact from providers encouraging or enticing them to reverse the withdrawal request and wager the funds, end quote. Uh, by enticing, Reebuck meant he'd been told some operators offered customers bonus money if they would cancel their withdrawal request. Reebuck called this practice, quote, unacceptable. Uh, from where I sit, Reebok has every right to be pissed off. This is not how regulated online gaming is supposed to work. This is exactly the sort of shady business that offshore books are accused of and that regulated wagering was supposed to present an alternative to. Uh, I'll share my own personal experiences with deposits and withdrawals in Pennsylvania shortly. Uh, but first, John, what's your reaction to this news? Do you expect Reebok's warning will be enough to make New Jersey operators clean up their act? Well, uh, my first blush is that uh, this seems to be a kinder, gentler rebuck. Not that the man himself isn't kind and gentle. I do know him pretty well. <laughs> uh, but in terms of wielding a big stick with operators, he did not shy away in the past. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that this directive was issued, the first one by DGE since a COVID update in March, which obviously was kind of mandatory, uh, it is sterner than some state regulators would do, for sure. So that's something. Uh, still, no company names were provided in this case, which is unusual for DGE. They don't mind calling out uh, operators directly when need be. Mm -hmm. And the violations seem at least on the surface, to be fairly clear. Um, the hedge may be that NJ regulators have telegraphed before that due to issues such as money laundering concerns, operators definitely don't have to, and in some cases, I guess, shouldn't release money immediately upon request. So, But if you give some operators an inch, it seems, they take a mile. So yeah, I would say the bottom line is that any wise operator will take this as a formal written warning from the cop instead of a speeding ticket. Mm -hmm. So it's something, it's not a wink, wink, have a nice day with these shenanigans. Uh, if you don't take it seriously, yeah, you're going to get bitten. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's what I've experienced. And, and mind you, I'm a sample size of one. Uh, by no means is this indicative of what's going on in the big picture. But what I've found with regulated online gaming is that I can make deposits almost instantaneously. Withdrawals are not quite as instantaneous. The first withdrawal I made in Pennsylvania, I experienced some of the maddening practices that Reebok is railing against. I wanted to make a withdrawal and I kept getting a series of emails requesting that I fill out an additional form confirming my withdrawal, and I provide an additional form of identification, send them a photo of my driver's license, etc. I would think I was done, then I'd get another email requesting some other proof of something, which is fine to an extent, you know, make sure I'm 21 or over and I am who I say I am, but why am I not jumping through all those same hoops when I make my first deposit? You should want to make 100% sure I'm legit before I gamble on the site, not before I cash out some winnings. So that really pissed me off that first time. It ultimately took maybe three or four days to get my money. But I will say they never tried to coerce me into reversing the cash out. They were just dragging it out and making me jump through hoops and kind of made it feel like they were trying to frustrate me into changing my mind, but they weren't, you know, overtly <laughs> offering me anything to change my mind. But anyway, every cash out since, um, and, and I do deposit and cash out frequently on one particular site, uh, FanDuel, because I hate leaving money on the site 
because that's one site that doesn't let me block myself from playing online casino games without blocking myself from the whole site. So if I leave 25 bucks on there, I will eventually give in and blow it on video poker or blackjack. So uh, basically what I do is whenever I want to see a bet that I want to make a sports bet, I deposit 25 or 50 bucks or whatever. And when I win a bet, I cash those winnings right out. So what I found is deposits happen instantaneously withdrawals take about 24 hours. Uh, no, no no extra hoops to jump through. It just doesn't process instantaneously for whatever reason. Maybe it has to do with the, the money laundering uh, aspects that, that you brought up. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, but I'm also dealing in amounts that no operator cares about. Uh, for some of these other customers making large withdrawals, if the site is finding ways to discourage them from, you know, being responsible and cashing out some winnings instead of just always letting it all ride. That is a serious problem. And, and I'm glad Rebuck is cracking down on it. We, we can't have that in the regulated industry in any state. Well, I'm even a smaller fish than you. And I, I kind of feel bad about sites that are particularly aggressive trying to get me to play uh, ever any uh, online casino <laughs> games, uh, you know, cough, bet MGM cough. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're trying so hard. Like I'm never going to spend a nickel in the rest of my life on that. I just think it's crazy. I Online slots, as I, we've talked about last year, there is uh, online slots advantage play and people can right. make money, I, I, which is astounding to me, but it's true. But I don't know how to do it and I'm not going to learn and <laughs> I'm not going to play. And so they're just going to keep sending me these offers and it's never going to happen. But uh, of course, it's all like on a, you know, algorithm or something. <laughs> no, no human being is sitting like, damn, where can I get this guy to play? I, I don't get a commission. You know, it's not really like that, but uh, I'm still amused that uh, I continue to ignore all their offers. Right. Well, good for you. I uh, I am not quite as good at ignoring it. Those games are 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 absolutely mindless uh, and and can be fun. And there's a little thrill when you do hit something. And so it is kind of hard to resist. Uh, at least I've found for me personally, which is why on every site that lets me do sports betting and or poker uh, and allows me to block all the other games. Great. I block the other games and just do sports betting and poker. But uh, FanDuel doesn't have that option. And uh, I don't entirely trust myself. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. About a year and a half ago, Sarah Slane left her post as the vice president of public affairs for the American Gaming Association and started her own strategic consulting firm, Slane Advisory. We had her on the podcast that very week, and I mistakenly called her company Slane Advisors, and she politely corrected me. Uh, but now I know the name, so we're already off to a better start as she makes her third appearance on the podcast. She remains now, as she was then, one of the most respected minds and voices in the industry. Sarah, thanks for joining us once again on Gamble On. Thank you so much. Um, although you just demoted me in my my title at EGA, so <laughs> I'm always screwing something up in the intro. <laughs> right. We'll just keep it going. We'll just keep this right. tradition going. There like, we come go. On, it'll be something else. But, right. You know, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So catch us up a little on Slain Advisory. It's not a brand new company anymore. Uh, through the first eighteen months or so. How have you found being your own boss as compared to working for the AGA or MGM Resorts before that? And what sort of curveballs did COVID throw your way that impacted your consulting firm? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I'd love to go back and listen to the first one because um, I'm sure so much has changed. Uh, clearly, every, so much has changed since then, but um, just perspective, you know, on on what I thought and now where where I am today. And um, 
super fortunate, you know, just couldn't have, I guess, timed it better from um, just being a white hot space, people needing information, understanding the landscape. And um, I've been super fortunate with the clients that I've, I have and, um, you know, just being well positioned, honestly, to help both sides of the industry, which is what I, I you know, set out to do um, was, you know, help the sports and media industry really understand how gaming worked and how gaming regulation works and how it impacts um, business decisions. And so um, I've been, like I said, very, very fortunate, even through COVID, you know, to, to have some, like I said, really, really great clients. And, you know, I'll pause because I'm, we can get into it a bit more, but um, yeah, it's been good. All right. But in terms of um, the, the COVID, you know, obviously changed a lot of the focus and perspective throughout the industry, but uh, it sounds like it didn't affect the amount of work and the amount of potential clients uh, for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, obviously once that happened and everyone was at a, a standstill and especially obviously sports, I mean, there aren't many like, you know, doomsday scenarios that would have ever predicted everything that just happened, you know, sports betting being shut down because sports aren't playing. Like what are the chances of that? Um, right. So, you know, it, it just definitely like lull period, but then clearly the industry pivoted fairly quickly with innovation and, you know, looking to other sports like table tennis um, to fill that gap. Um, the other thing that obviously was very noteworthy that happened was that DraftKings um, SPAC, you know, was activated during that time. I guess it, it must have been in April that that happened or maybe May. Um, so I think what ended up coming as a result of that was while, you know, we're industry insiders, we breathe, eat, live this every single day, the rest of the world doesn't. And when DraftKings then went public, you know, it just, that megaphone got so much bigger and, and really opened up um, the opportunity to so many other um, businesses and people and, um, you know, in what was a rather bleak period in time, you know, I think it was somewhat of a bright spot from a growth perspective. And so that was just sort of like adding fuel to the fire um, and people wanting more information and wanting to understand how they could take advantage of um, this new and growing opportunity. Yeah, you know, Sarah, it's not too long ago that that uh, six states with a six state sweep of legal uh, regulated gambling expansion in the United States. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it as the uh, we're all New Jerseyans now moment, because uh, obviously 10 years ago, uh, we voted to have the legal sports betting at the casinos and racetracks. And uh, eight years ago, we launched online casino gaming. So everybody's sort of catching up to us. But, you know, does this six state sweep, is this the point where you say, all right, the war's over, uh, Americans in general culturally are very accepting of gambling? Or was it even a little bit before that that you figured the, the tide was turning? So I guess the question uh, underlying that is, uh, was there any surprise at all to how the states voted? I mean, I was shocked. I was totally mm -hmm. shocked. You know, I, I thought just having been in gaming and understanding the, the, the nuances and difficulties in getting legislation passed, I, I never thought it would move at the clip that it moved at. Quite frankly, I didn't know where the court was going to rule the way they did. I actually thought it was going to be some combination where, you know, they would have they would have said that it is a state's rights issue, but that they would have maybe 
put something in place or had the federal government kept something intact from that law. So um, the fact that, you know, it was struck down in its entirety and that states seem to embrace um, legalization were both really shocking to me. And, you know, I continue to be surprised, um, you know, when you have states like Texas now that are talking about legalization, you had a state like Tennessee that moved um, legalization through fairly quickly it is pretty amazing. I mean, it would be, it would be pretty remarkable if Texas were to enact legislation before Ohio, quite frankly, um, mm. but we'll see. But so, um, yeah, I, 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 again, I continue to be sort of amazed at the clip. I, it's funny because people ask me like, well, why do you think that sports betting has happened so much faster than traditional casino style gaming or even online internet gaming or poker? And I think that's because there is a nomenclature difference. Like I do feel like people embrace sports betting. They've participated in it. Um, you have a much bigger group of stakeholders who are involved when it comes to sports betting, like teams and media companies um, that just put sort of a different face on it. So um, again, just, you know, I'm, I'm very surprised. I continue to be surprised. Um, and we'll see, you know, just how many more markets end up opening up this year. And also states that maybe go back and revisit some of the laws that they put in place that maybe aren't as advantageous as they had hoped. Yeah, you know, I, I read a lot of polls and I started noticing about eight to 10 years ago, and this is millennials, you know, they're almost the forgotten generation coming soon. Their, their time is, uh, is over the hill. But um, I, I, that's the group that it, it basically came down to a poll is, do you think that adults in the United States should be allowed to? And it was almost like, stop, stop. Yes, they should be allowed to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was gay marriage. It was uh, sports betting. It was marijuana legalization. Uh, it's all kinds of things. Um, and I remember talking to people about it. I said, look, you may like this or you may not, but this is it. This, this is a huge group. You know, they, they were taking over and they've decided that if people, if adults, consenting adults want to do something, uh, it's their own business if they want to do it. So they support it. And it was interesting because you had, you had people who, plenty of these people have no interest in sports betting. They don't even have any interest in sports. So yeah. it's not like, well, I think it should be legal because I'm going to do it or my, right. my spouse is going to do whatever. They're like, I don't, I don't care what happens, but I don't see why people can't do it. So uh, that's, yeah. that was sort of coming. So I, that's why I was a little bit less surprised in November, but now it's a, it's, it's a done deal everywhere, I think, at some point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you know, we saw the same kind of attitude years and years ago when we first started doing polling at AGA about Americans' attitudes toward gaming. And it was like nine out of 10 people did not have a problem with casino gaming. Maybe they didn't participate in it, but they didn't care if you did. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised, I guess, that this sort of libertarian viewpoint on, you know, marijuana and sports betting and that, you know, if you're an adult, you can make decisions. Um, I guess I'm just very surprised that it had been adopted so quickly by legislators. Right. Uh, well, one thing that hasn't been adopted uh, nearly as quickly to this point is online casino. Um, but uh, as we know, that's where the larger potential revenue is uh, compared to sports betting. Um, and in these early stages of 2021 so far, we, we've heard rumblings in a few states about online casino legislation being introduced, uh, most notably Indiana. Is it your sense from talking to people in the industry 
that the lessons learned during the COVID shutdowns are actually going to provoke some sort of a rush on online casino legislation? Much more skeptical. Okay. That one I will, I will <laughs> um, for all the reasons that we just talked about, honestly, like much more skeptical about um, online casino being enacted. Um, just a harder sell. Um, I think that when there is a, a, a vision of being able to um, play slot, slot machines on your phone or blackjack, it just is a higher mental hurdle, I think, for legislators to adopt. One, two is it's a lot harder, I think, to get um, existing casino operators, paramutuals, lotteries, um, tribal interests all on the same page when it comes to legalizing online gaming. Online sports betting has been different because for states outside of Nevada, um, when you think about real sports betting, it's not like it was something that they viewed as competing with something that they already had. So if you have slot machines and table games and card rooms and poker or whatever, now all of a sudden you're saying, well, I'm giving you a more convenient way to do that. And you don't necessarily now need to come into my casino versus sports betting, which was, I don't even have it. I don't even have it in my, my existing casino. And so I don't really view that as, as a threat. Um, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I do think that it is a much harder piece of legislation to get passed. And I think everyone sort of held out hope like, okay, maybe because of, you know, COVID and there being so many like terrible budget shortfalls and all sorts of things that, that, that we need, you know, like, I, I think that that, that helps, but I'm not sure that it's going to be, you know, the reason why now all these states are going to enact it. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I do think that the way to get that done is like with states that you just mentioned, Indiana, that already has existing I, um, sports betting, online sports betting and casino properties and um, I started moving down that path. But, you know, otherwise, I think it's, it's a it's a pretty tough sell. Right. Uh, yeah. There, and there's one odd thing about uh, mobile sports betting, you know, uh, while about 25 or 26 states or whatever have passed it, the four biggest ones all have not, as we all know, California, Florida, Texas, New York. So I'm curious, uh, do you see, you know, as we look ahead in 2021, uh, are any of these states getting anywhere? I mean, if we have you on in January 22, is there one you're going to be, you think you're going to be talking about saying, wow, they either did it or they made a lot of progress. And also, is there one where you see no hope whatsoever for in the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm cautiously optimistic about Texas. Mm. Um, I just think that you've got a lot of uh, very powerful, very influential interests that you know are aligned behind wanting to see legalization in the state. Um, and you know, the thing that that's interesting about Texas is that it's being presented through the lens of the teams and the sports leagues um and who have been you know obviously very much hurt by covid will continue to be very much hurt by covid with um you know no in person or i know it's very limited at this point but ticket sales and merch and everything else and canceled games and tv rights contracts and that money not coming in and i think the idea then to say that you know the state of texas and the teams that are in texas are going to benefit because um you know, sports betting is going to market access is going to be granted through those channels um, is a lot different than 
um, maybe New York even that's you know being led by more casino interest and now obviously the governor has jumped on board and, and presenting this maybe potentially through the lottery and there being a single um, operator there. So it, it's, it's just coming at it a little bit differently. I mean, look, I always think, especially in a state like Texas that has a track record of being very sort of anti-gaming, you know, it's still an uphill battle for sure. Um, I think across the board that one thing that I think we can all agree on is that once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's not going back in. So, you know, the groundwork is going to be laid. The conversations will continue year over year and hopefully we'll move forward with it. Now, Texas is a little bit harder given that they only meet every other two years. And um, I think this would require a constitutional amendment. So it would have to go on the ballot. So the time frame is a little trickier, but um, we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Texas. Um, I'm very less optimistic about um, you know, California will happen because of what the tribes are, are doing and it'll get on the ballot. And, you know, I think it'll pass because it'll be led by the tribes, but obviously that'll be very limited to a retail opportunity. Um, I think Florida is super hard without the Seminoles getting on board um, and just so many disparate interests there. I think it, that one's a tricky one. Um, and then, you know, of course, New York, which, you know, with the governor's comments, I think everyone's getting, has been rejuvenated and then deflated. Um, so we'll see where that all ends up. I mean, I think there's going to have to be a lot of compromise obviously made and we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm less, I guess, optimistic about that one. Yeah. And the, the Senate assembly bills that have passed committee in the last two days of this week, uh, they mentioned a royalty fee that the, uh, the leagues would get uh, for uh, I don't know for what, for having games or something like that. Actually, they say it's because they have their headquarters in New York and that's why they get money. Um, you know, that was a hot thing about two or three years ago. Uh, at this point, is that sort of an anachronism or a dinosaur or is it something that makes your blood boil at all or is it just, you know, whatever, you know, as long as it passes, uh, who cares? You know, like I, 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 look, I worked with all of those folks before anything yeah. even like this was even remotely, um, being contemplated. And look, we have a difference of opinion. Um, I think that that concept has really sort of died under its own weight. Um, other than New York, not a lot of traction. Um, and if the whole reason why it's going to be part of the legislation is because the headquarters are there, well, then that'll be it because the headquarters are there, like they're nowhere else. So I, you know, they've had, uh, they, I think they've made much more, the leagues have made much more traction. And when I say the leagues, MLB, NBA, PGA Tour, they've made a lot of traction then on the mandatory data um, statutes in, in the U.S. I don't know how many states, but I know it's definitely, I think more than five, maybe we're up to five. Um, so I think that one has been a lot more palatable, quite frankly, to legislators, but also to the industry. Um, the casino industry, I think that the integrity fee has been obviously a much bigger uphill battle. And um, I think one that they, you know, they, I don't know that they've said out loud they've abandoned it, but, you know, just haven't gotten a ton of traction versus um, data. All right. Well, it's always uh, interesting and informative talking to you, Sarah. Uh, for anyone in the industry who wants to know more about Sarah's consulting services, uh, I'm about to give out some uh, web information. And so I'm a little nervous now that I'm going to get the information wrong. So correct me if anything's wrong here, but uh, you can go to slainadvisory.com. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And uh, everyone should follow her on Twitter at Sarah underscore Slane. I got that correct also? 
Yes, you did. Good All right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm atoning for my slow start. Strong. Right, okay, good. <laughs> Sarah, thanks so much for coming Thank on the podcast you. again. Thanks, guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our NFL Conference Championship picks shortly. Uh, but first, let's update our shared bankroll. And to put it bluntly, we could not possibly have fared worse last week, John. Uh, you had three bets on Kevin Kistner totaling $130. They were for top 20, top 10, and first place. He finished in a tie for 30 seconds. So we dropped the whole $130. You also had the under on Rams Packers. The long fourth quarter touchdown by Alan Lazard pushed it over. That cost us $110. I bet on Lamar Jackson to score a touchdown at plus 125 odds. Maybe he should have tried to run it in instead of throwing a pick six at the end of the third quarter. Uh, That cost us $100. And I bet the Vegas Golden Knights to go under for the season. That's off to a lovely start with them having won their first four games. Through four games, they have eight points. Uh, Our our NBA futures are all underperforming also. So, uh, yeah, we officially stink right now. Uh, I actually had an excellent week in my real-life bets, but that doesn't help us here. Uh, We lost $340 for the week. We're down $1,511 from where we started. We have $702 on hold in futures bets, and that means we have $7,787 available to bet with this week. But you just never know when your momentum is going to swing the other way. So uh, let's do our best. Uh, you're up first, John. I'm sighing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my slide really began when I got away from making golf picks uh, last fall because the tournaments were only second tier. So why bother? Uh, well, then I came back to the tour and I ignored the phenoms who were winning for me last year. And instead, I'm taking bets on grizzled veterans like Patrick Reed and Kevin Kistner. Just dumb so now it's all phenoms all the time for the time being in the near future based on what i see is the best price of course Uh, i have a new one this time i haven't picked this guy before uh it's a southern california event that used to be known as the bob hope desert classic ask your grandparent about bob hope kids (laughs) Uh, and and it's a 25 year old american cameron champ that's an encouraging name um he's one of the longest hitters on the tour and everything from course layout to the green suits his game nicely and I, i can get 100 at even money on champ to place not in the top 20 but a mere top 30. Uh, now, since top 65 and ties out of 156 players make the cut, I'd say if we play the weekend, I like our chances. Uh, and I'll limp into a 10 for a, plus, for a top five at plus 750. And maybe we get back in the game with 10 to win and long shots here are almost win every year at 10 and plus 4,000. Ooh, okay. So if I'm doing the math in my head, uh, $10, uh, 40 to one, uh, we could use a nice uh, $400 in our bankroll, not to mention it means the other two bets cash as well. So, all right, go, go Cameron champ. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I'm going to try to go uh, with a sport that I know uh, and am definitely profitable on overall uh, to do my part to reverse our momentum. Uh, Let's make a boxing bet. Uh, very good fight Saturday night on Showtime between undefeated 122 pounders, uh, Stephen Fulton versus Angelo Leo. It's a tough fight to pick a winner in. Fulton is a small favorite, as he probably should be. I don't love the price on either guy, but what I'm confident of here is that the fight is going the full 12 rounds. Neither of these guys are knockout artists. I'm about 80% sure this fight will go the distance. The books are of a similar mindset. It's minus 270 to bet that it goes the full 12. But that means if I'm more than 73% confident, 
that line has value. So uh, let's try for a small victory here and risk $135 to win 50 bucks on this fight going 12 rounds, regardless of who wins. And by the way, because I'm not throwing 10 bucks on the draw at 17 to one, I fully expect <laughs> to inform you next week that this fight ended in a draw. Yeah, it's pretty much a lock at this point the way we're going. Uh, give me Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, at under 305.5 yards passing, 112 to win 100. It's a lot of yards in a high-pressure game, and we have seen top quarterbacks miss time of late, haven't we? Uh, so many outs on Allen not getting to that uh, number that uh, I'm taking a shot. All right. Well, we're going to make it a trend then picking quarterbacks yeah. to go under. I'm uh, I'm looking at Tom Brady. Uh, I think uh, his passing yardage prop is is a bit too high. I found it as high as 289 and a half uh, at minus 112. The Packers have a good pass defense. Teams generally do better running the ball against them. It's supposed to be 29 degrees in Green Bay on Sunday, maybe even a chance of snow when these teams met in October. Brady threw for just 166 yards. Granted, that had a lot to do with game script. Tampa had a lead. He didn't need to air it out. If they're playing from behind all game on Sunday, we could be in trouble here. But otherwise, I expect them to run the ball a fair amount with Ronald Jones and the rejuvenated Uncle Lenny, playoff Lenny. Uh, Brady had just 199 yards in the dome last week against New Orleans. I think we'll see something similar here. So let's bet $112 to win 100 under 289 and a half yards. And we conclude the show with our playoff picks. John went two and two last week. He's one win away from clinching a winning record for the postseason as he's now six and four against the spread. I went one and three last week, which means I've already clinched a losing record for the postseason. I'm now three and seven. And I can't wait for football betting season to be over. Uh, just two games to pick this week, of course. And we'll use William Hill's lines as of Wednesday night. And I'm up first with the early game, the NFC Championship, Bucks and Packers. Green Bay is favored by three. And maybe I should just flip a coin and let that decide. But uh, no, I, I have to trust my instincts and make real picks, even if I'm on a bad run. And my instinct says this line is a point too low, that it's Tom Brady's history and status as someone the public likes to bet, keeping this line at three, but it should be at least three and a half. The Packers are a better team. Rodgers is a better quarterback at this stage of his career. His weapons are healthy. I don't love the 43-year-old QB in cold weather. Give me the Packers to cover and move on to the Super Bowl. Yeah, my worst pick of 2019-20 was the Packers over 49ers, the NFC Championship game. Just brutal. Uh, so this time, Nah, I'm just kidding. I, I love, love, love the Packers a minus three in this spot for some of the reasons you give. Also, the Bucks scored three touchdowns last week, all off turnovers. I gave them the ball in great, great field position. Right. That's just not repeatable. And the late game is the FC Championship. Bills at Chiefs. And while Patrick Mahomes' status is still uncertain, the line is Kansas City minus three that we've got to pick. You know, if there were no concussion protocols, it's 100% sure that hard-headed Andy Reid would start Mahomes on Sunday. Uh, fortunately, wiser heads are now involved as well. But that makes more uncertainty, doesn't it? Now, in a million years, I would have never bet on this game in midweek due to the uncertainty, but we're stuck, aren't we, making right. a pick on the podcast. So, but Mahomes has two issues. The second being a sore foot, even before his foolish run for a first down that produced a concussion that may well ruin the Chiefs' season and a chance for a repeat. Um, so, I got to go with the cards that are dealt to me. So, I have to take the Bills plus three. They have not impressed me in their two playoff wins, which are kind of really playoff losses by their opponents. Um, but the best part about it is I desperately want the Bills to win anyway. So, what the heck? 
All right. Uh, so uh, I guess this is bad news for you, John, is that we're on the so- same side of both games. Um, I, I went against my instinct last week. I hopped on that Ravens bandwagon, despite believing that the Bills were the better team. I also went against my knowledge that the Chiefs never cover. Uh, and uh, and that left me 0 for 2 on those games last week. Uh, I'm 99% sure Mahomes will play. But this, exactly what you said, the foot concerns me. It's not the concussion protocol. It's the foot uh, if he's not as mobile uh, uh, as he is when he's at his best. Uh, the Bills went 11 and 5 against the spread this season. The Chiefs haven't covered a spread since before the election. Seriously, they haven't covered yeah. since a 35 to 9 win over the Jets on November 1st. And even then, they didn't cover by much since that was about a 20 point <laughs> spread. Um, so I'm thinking Bills lead by a point or two. Chiefs kick a field goal to win it by a point or two. Chiefs move on to the Super Bowl, but the Bills get the cover. Uh, so, like you, I'm taking Buffalo plus the three points. Thank God and, help us all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Sarah Slane. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, so, you know, Eric and I have talked to enough recovering gamblers and experts in that field to have a little bit of a grasp about what a compulsive gambler is up against. So my bruised ego from another week of losing picks on a hypothetical bankroll on a podcast means nothing compared to that, obviously. <laughs> uh, but I thought this week about only making one selection anyway. Just It just gives me a tiny, tiny window into what might happen, you know, for a gambler when they hit a rough patch with real money that would affect their real-life financial bottom line. And I'm trying to grasp what happens when a gambler gets to that place and tries to get all or most of it back in a hurry and loses again. And um, all I can say is if your bets of late have been as poor as mine, uh, as the football season winds down, but not enough to cause you to you know, be unable to pay the bills, I hope, uh, for God's sake, just quit while you're behind for the season. And if, and if not betting makes you not want to watch NFL championship games, then that can't be a good sign, can it? Mm. It's also, you know, I, I always talk against parlays before but purely on a percentage basis see the the books are making 14 15 percent so you don't want to do them but now i'm starting to vaguely grasp reality for you know gamblers who are in some trouble that if you only have a certain amount of money left and you're that far behind you can't just you know bet straight up against the spread in two or three games and and get much of it back um so what do you do you might want to try a parlay you know who knows eight eight rings or whatever and it's not going to work and it's it's just uh it's trouble so my opposition to parlays has become a little more real to me now as i'm learning again just from a bruised ego which is nothing but it's a little bit of a hint for me so you know these last three games of the nfl season i think can be very dangerous territory everybody so if you're in that category run away from the danger please now if you're not in that category then you and only you and others in that comfortable financial place you can feel free to gamble on.